We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh my goodness! Stunning with the All right, everyone, welcome into another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Brian here as we are recording this live on the Green Room app. Before we get into the episode, wanted to thank our newest member of BMC. You can follow him on Twitter at MCLEY. I wish I knew how to pronounce the name, but he's a he's a very good source of salary cap information. If you have any questions, I'm sure he'd be happy to answer those in the DM. Uh, he's a follower and a supporter of us here on BuzzBeat. If you want to learn more about that, you can visit buymeacoffee.com slash buzzbeat to get access to some of the the exclusive content there. So, BG, how's everything going with you? Anything new in your life? Just real quickly, would follow up. Yeah, people should, if you don't already, follow that account. That's someone that supported this show for a long time, um, has terrific understanding and command of the NBA salary cap, including some of the nitty-gritty aspects and how it works and they, they, the account does a really nice job framing it in terms of uh, you know team building strategies and concepts for the Hornets. So would would just want to mention that out there. Um, as far as things go in my world, not 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 too much has changed since last week. Just just been uh, I guess enjoying some uh, some summer league basketball with the uh, the winless Hornets, <laughs> um, which I hope people aren't panicking about or anything like that. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but. Things are pretty good in in my neck of the woods. Just I guess getting ready. Uh, amazingly enough, I, I guess for a football and basketball season that are not too far uh, down the road. Certainly not with ACC football. So yeah, things are good, man. How about yourself? Well, I was talking to you this uh, before we started recording. Doing well, but teaching has started back up. I went into the classroom yesterday and today as I get the classroom set up. And that's that's always I mean, it's the fun part because you're kind of like you know decorating your room and getting everything yeah. set up and it's like the cleanest your room will ever look. <laughs> but a lot <laughs> yeah. of times when you're like opening up your closets and all the cabinet space, you find stuff from like teaching like four or five years ago. I'm like, oh, I still have this thing. I, I didn't realize I had it and stuff like that. But a lot of clerical stuff, paperwork and trainings and all that stuff. So there is a boring part to these work days, but. Excited to get the kids back in the classroom. I don't know if I've told you this, but I've actually moved back to third grade this year. So yeah, you, um, you mentioned that that you were going to do that. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I hope uh, a couple of things. One, you talking about like you know looking out and finding these things that you had packed away from like four years ago. I sort of imagine a year from now, Mitch Kupchak doing that, looking at the Hornet salary books and being like, Nick Batum is still here. Like uh, uh, the the gift that keeps on giving. I like that. Secondly, I hope you at least hung up a little bit of purple and teal uh, Hornets uh, gear or something like that in the classroom. I know you've featured that in some way, shape, or form before. And then most importantly, uh, yeah, just, man, just hope everyone's able to stay safe. Everyone is getting back to school, um, whether it be third grade, high school, college, you know, student, teachers, whomever. I just hope everyone's uh can do it as safe as humanly possible. Masks, vaccines, you know, whatever's available. 
I guess that's what sucks about the kids that I teach is that they're not eligible for vaccines. Yeah. So it's like they, yeah. they're it's kind of out of their control at this point. But yeah, uh, yep. we yep. just take it day by day, week by week, and we'll see yep. how it goes. So today's episode, we're doing a mailbag episode. These are questions directly from our supporters on BMC. We have a total of six questions here. And if we have time, we may take some questions and or comments from those of you in Green Room. Right now, we just got Maxwell, loyal listener of ours. I'm glad he joins on, <laughs> on Green Room here. But anyway, all right, first question from Reggie Helton. Miles Bridges is now the senior most member of the Hornets. Will Mitch wait until next season to sign him to an extension or do it now? If we don't sign him, will we learn from the Kemba situation and trade him before the end of the season? Wow, that's a... It's a very strong question there. So, yeah, so to his point, he is eligible for an extension uh, because he's entering his fourth year of that rookie contract. You know, some of the other players this offseason that have gotten that extension that are in the same boat as Miles Bridges, uh, Trey Young, uh, Luka Doncic, and SGA are just a couple of those players that are in the same boat there. Uh, I do not think Miles is in the same category as those players, so I don't think he's going to be worth that maximum extension. I think SGA got, I think he, SGA got the maximum extension, and I, I would hope that the money isn't a sticking point for Bridges. But you just never know with Clutch Sports and his agent mm-hmm. and how much they're willing to kind of negotiate here. So, do I think Mitch will get it done uh, this summer? I would say. I kind of say no. I, I would hope that they could, but I just, I just, I don't, I worry about the clutch aspect of it and how much Bridges is willing to bet on himself this season. Cause it can go one of two ways. Like if he has another great season, that value is only going to go up. Now, if he has a down season, uh, you know, you bet on yourself and you didn't have as good enough season as you did last year, then maybe that wiggle room is a little bit more for Mitch. So, I, I personally don't think it's going to happen, but that's just nothing more than a gut feeling. Just a, a couple of things. There's still what you know, eight weeks before the season starts, so there's still time if they if they wanted to hammer it out and get this thing done this summer. There's still enough time, but I I really haven't even heard whole uh, you know a lot of chatter about it. I'm, I'm not sure like you know where the middle that they're both sides are hoping to meet up in. We'll land that. Um, I can see both parties actually being sort of interested in, in going into the season next year without an extension and seeing how things play out. Because for someone like Miles Bridges, who closed the season playing so damn well, starting really just kind of coming into his own as a, as a playmaker and a shot maker and a, a, a playmaker for others. And, and I think really the, the defense side of, you know, defensively him sort of like finding good level ground on that side of the court as a team defender, he might be thinking, well, with a full season, I'll be starting the whole time, most likely playing next to LaMelo. We're going to be on this go-go team, lots of possessions, basically like Bridges has the chance to put up big counting stats, right? And I think stuff like that matters a lot from the player side, the agent side, in terms of these negotiations. If Miles Bridges can come out on average, you know, 18 points per game for a full season on, you know, 37% three-point shooting or whatever, well, then that's probably good. And the team, you know, plays pretty well with him on the court or whatever, then that's really good for Bridges. And, and then he can say they can go up and they can demand a, a ton of money. Probably not the max, you know, but something close to that. And for a team like Charlotte, and and we've discussed this, and I think Spencer's laid this out pretty well a couple of times, you know, Bridges had a nice season start to finish this year, but he really hit another gear, you know, two thirds of the way through the year when he got pushed to the starting lineup. And because of the injuries, more was asked of him offensively And Charlotte might say, look, we, we want you to be a part. I think, I think you're seeing those signals. Like you saw him, you saw Bridges summer league courtside with LaMelo. You've seen him featured in plenty of the team sort of like off season media packages and so I think they want him to be a part of it. They would just like to see him play like he did for the last six weeks of the season, but for six months, you know? So I think I think it kind of could make some sense if they're not able to come to a number that works for them this summer. Both parties can go into next season saying, well, this is like a prove-it year, right? And, and however that plays out, that's going to determine what happens in restricted free agency. Miles Bridges is not going to get traded, right. right? Like this is not – it's not apples to apples with, with Kemba – in his, in like the way they like mismanaged 
that situation with Kemba heading into unrestricted free agency and eligible for a supermax in uh, in 2019, you could see the writing on the walls halfway through the 2017-2018 season, even before Miles Bridges got to Charlotte. In fact, for anyone on the current roster was even that that yeah, is on the current yeah. roster in Charlotte was even on the team. I mean, you could see that the Hornets really like needed to start exploring the Kemba trade market. But I do think like the team itself is in a different spot now because they're trying to build around LaMelo where at that point in time, you're trying to build around Kemba and you're, we're trying to cram in all the team building before he would hit unrestricted free agency. Right. So you're gunning for the eighth spot. You're trying to build out, you know, a 500, you know, a team that can win half its games around Kemba. No, you're trying to do it before again, before he would hit unrestricted free agency in 2019 with LaMelo, you're taking, you know, hopefully a, a five-year plan, right? A 10-year plan um, going into these things. Guys just usually don't get traded like that. Got good, like possible franchise, not franchise players, but like long-term cornerstone building pieces. Those guys don't generally don't get traded before they hit restricted free agency. It just doesn't usually does not happen unless it's like, you know, in exchange for like a, a, a superstar, right. You know, like yeah. a, like a big time trade package or whatever. And that, that is, that is different. Most of these guys, you know, when they get picked and they, if they're going to be a second contract player, like they're going to be with that team for, you know, seven or eight years. And when you would be thinking about trading them would be during their second contract, not, you know, preemptively doing it before, right. um, before they were to get to restricted free agency and, and, ahead of that last year of them playing on like what is essentially a pretty cheap rookie salary. So um, I think Bridges is a part of the long-term fixture as much as anyone not named LaMelo Ball can be on this franchise right now. And I still think there's a chance they get it done this summer. I just, I'd be, I would love to know what those negotiations sound like. And again, I, I think it does make sense for both parties to take this into, to, to, to see how the 21, 22 season plays out. Um, just from like a a data information gathering standpoint. Yeah, I can't really equate the two situations all that much. A lot of what you just said there, uh, because Kimba was on his second contract, right? And he himself actually got better from that contract. It was just the situation of the team that was kind of on a downward trend. And he kind of had some injuries kind of flare up in those last couple of seasons. And that really probably should have signaled that the Hornets should have traded him because they knew that that Supermax was coming up. Bridges is just in a totally different situation because he's part of this youth movement and you need him moving forward considering how well he did play. Do you remember how much Kemba's extension was after his rookie year? Do you remember how much? It was uh four it was a four year extension yep. for either forty four or forty eight million dollars. Forty eight. Forty eight. Yeah. I mean it was it's a he really time. was he really was one of the best value contracts yep. in the NBA for a period of time. Like Kemba was playing at an all star level. Um and this this was this was the case with Steph Curry before his first like big like uh you know extension kicked in but like those two guys are two of the best deals in the nba and they they agreed to those contract extensions those rookie uh extensions when both of them like hey kemba uh, you know by no means was like a star but with curry's thing it was like oh his ankles were like uh you know a concern or seen as a liability so therefore golden state was able to get him on a, a really cheap rookie extension and that was certainly what worked out with kemba man he just got better and better each and every year. And he had another gear as a player, like after that rookie, like once his fifth year came like in the NBA, that was like when he made massive strides yeah. as a, a pull-up shooter in that 15, 16 season. And so, yeah, like it's not the same because unrestricted free agency and restricted free agency are not the same thing. The timelines are way different as Charlotte is like building out around LaMelo and you have a guy like Kemba Walker that was, in his prime or back half of his prime, you have a guy like Miles Bridges that, in theory, should still be getting better. Like he's just 23 or whatever. So again, it's not uh, exactly the same thing. For whatever it's worth, my hope would be that the, for any franchise would sort of learn that yeah, you you do need to you either need to pay these guys or you need to be able to get something from them as they're headed out the door. 
Fortunately for Charlotte, they were actually able to get Terry Rozier as Kemba was heading. I mean, it didn't look like that was right. going to work quite work out, and they ended up getting an asset in in Rozier as as Kemba was leaving dead to Boston in a signing trade. So they were able to actually like last second grab onto something, and, and Rozier has obviously turned into a player. And and hell, maybe if they trade him, that that turns into more assets. So you you continue to get that sort of like sustainable build where you take an asset. You turn it into two assets, you turn it into three assets, you know, as, as the as the team is trying to move forward around uh, around LaMelo. I also think, and this is just like as an aside, that the All-Star game being in Charlotte in 2019, yes. I, I do think that played a bit of a role in it too. Because about Kembo that. was an All-Star. Yeah, we, we talked about this like three years ago, and, and, and like forecasting out as this being like a possible concern. Um, and they wanted Kemba to be the host for the city and do the three-point contest and play in the game and all that stuff. It feels like a million years ago. It was you know two and a half years ago, but but yeah. So so again, it's not it's not for for so many different reasons. It's not the same thing. And I'll be curious to know when the Hornets and Bridges agree to a second contract, whether it be a rookie extension this summer or if they do in fact go into restricted free agency. Yeah. Uh, next off season with you know a, a full season underneath their uh, you know hopefully a, you know a healthy productive season for Miles Bridges and like you know how that could potentially shape negotiations um, in like nine months. And one thing about Kemba, I, I feel like I can root for him a little bit more now that he's on the Knicks. For some reason, I just couldn't. Get, I mean, I, I rooted for him when, when he's with Boston, but I couldn't really fully get behind it. But I'm glad he's back home in New York. You know, he's not the same player that he was in Charlotte. But there's something about him being at Madison Square Garden that I'm going to root for him a little bit more than I did it's, with the Celtics. It's it's pretty cool. So I will say the the 19 the 2019-2020 Celtics team I actually did get kind of into because. I really like Jalen Brown. I, I really like Jason Tatum. I covered him when he was at Duke. And I like Marcus Smart. So that that group, I actually like in the bubble was really having fun pulling for the uh, the Celtics down in the uh, uh, the or the the Disney bubble. But yeah, it'll be obviously it'll be different, like a totally different vibe with him uh, playing at the Garden. And like I still think because of that pick and roll pull up shooting that Kemba has. And because of New York's desperate need for that kind of perimeter creation, like I, I think there's a chance he could help them out this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next two questions come from Maxton NM Artists 5 uh, on Buy Me a Coffee. He sent in this first question uh, What do you think Rozier will cost to extend his contract? And should the Hornets do that extension? So there's a couple questions within this first question. Now, first off, Rozier is a little bit different than Miles in the sense that you can extend Rozier within the season. Uh, Miles Bridges, mm-hmm. you have to get it done prior to the first game of the season. I'm actually bad at predicting these sorts of things in terms of how much he is worth. Like, how much he's worth and how much I'm willing to pay him also are, are two different answers. Would four years, $88 million get it done? I don't know. Like, that's, that's $22 million per year. You know, for, for a point of reference here, his maximum available extension is four years, $96 million which is not something that I'd be willing to spend on Rozier. And I don't yeah. think Cupcheck would do it either. Uh, no. Should they do it, I guess is a, a different question altogether. I, I still lean no. I think he's been very important uh, for this team. 
I think it'd be wise to kind of check and put some feelers out there to see all their different options in terms of the trade market, especially as the season gets going. I think you're going to get a better grasp of how, one, the Hornets are playing, how he is playing, and if there's any contenders out there that need three-point shooting. And like I said, I guess the good thing is, is that Rozier can be extended within the season and you can gauge that as the season progresses. So I am so bad at predicting how much it would cost. Um, But also to the second part of this question, should the Hornets do the extension? I lean no, only because I don't think he's going to be worth the money that he does get. And yes, while he has been way more effective here in Charlotte than he did and was in Boston. And he, he's kind of had like a renaissance almost in terms of the things that he's able to do here. I, I still lean no. And, but do you have an idea of how much it would be worth to, to get this guy back if, if we wanted to? Yeah. Thanks for throwing out the, the max number. I mean, it's obviously like, it's just it, that type of deal is like entirely too much. Right. I mean, there's just, you just no way you, you could do something like that. Um, no, I would not do the extension to, to answer the second part of this question first. Um, you have a guy with Rozier, good player seems to be taking on a little bit of a leadership standpoint. I don't know if you caught this, but during the, uh, they, they, this has been mentioned a couple times now. Rozier's going to organize some like off-season workouts for the team in Miami wow. to, to work out and, and, and hang out and have some meals together, which I think is pretty cool. So, like, good on Terry for for doing that and taking on sort of a central role with this with this team. Um, but you got to remember with Rozier, this is a guy who I say this a lot on this podcast, but just like his perceived value, in my opinion, is higher than his actual value. Um, we know, like, I believe in Rozier as a movement shooter, a good three-point shooter, a guy that's, like, willing to take and make clutch shots, but he's really doesn't he, – he lacks another gear as, like, a creator for others. He is uh, routinely out of position as a team defender, and he just shot above his head from the mid-range this year at a level that looks like it was an outlier. And so if you if you come to an extension with Terry Rozier – I just think you're paying for the downslope of his career. I mean, I think he can like be sustainably pretty good for a little bit longer, but you'll be paying for, for, for past work. Right. And so right. you're just not going to be getting, I don't think for several reasons, I don't think you'll be getting like great return on, on your investment. And like, look, I think Terry should be able to like, he's played well the last two seasons. Like he deserves a bag of some kind, like he's earned it. Um, and he's still like 28 or whatever. So it's not like he's old, but He's something to, to fact take into consideration. Um, he has one year left, right, at $17.9 million. Uh, this is the second year in a row now that the salary his salary has declined. But like I said, he's 28. This is his last sort of chance, whether it be this extension or whether it be unrestricted free agency in 2022. This is like his last chance to like really cash in, right? And like sign a multi-year contract that's going to pay him like eight figures. Probably the last chance for that would, would be my would be my estimation as it is a contract that will take him into his early 30s. So he should want to cash in here and he's he's probably earned it. I just I don't necessarily want to be the team that's paying for that. If you extend Rozier, you know, you probably wipe him away as a potential trade chip too, which could be um, important for yeah, Charlotte yeah, again yeah. as they're as they're trying to do more of this asset churn. Um, the hypothetical I thought was, I guess my thing was like again he's playing for about eighteen million dollars next season. Like, would he sign an extension that was for less per year and like that was below that eighteen million dollar level? but gave him like added years and way more guaranteed salary than like someone like Rozier could probably reasonably expect at this point of his career. So I don't know. I was kind of thinking along the lines of like, in, you know, would he do something that was like a three year extension that was for, you know, anywhere from on top of this last year, but that was for anywhere in the 45 to $50 million range. So like there's a huge Delta between the numbers that I just threw out in that max extension that you said he's possible of signing. Right. Which is why, like, you know, I don't know, but I thought if he signs it for, if if it's a three year extension on top of what he's already owed, you know, then you're looking at those three years at $15 million a year. Maybe you get the last year as a team option or whatever. I don't know if he would go for something like that. 
if it's in that $55 million range, well then, you know, now you're looking more of like, you know, 18 and a half, 18 and change in terms of average value per season. But again, I don't know if he would go for that either. That's a very similar contract to what he signed uh, when in, when he was getting routed from Boston to Charlotte. I don't know. I think that's like the extent of like, sort of like where I'm willing to go. Like, I'm just not sure Terry Rozier is like a $20 million a year player for reasons that I've laid out earlier in this segment and have also been sort of like harping on for a couple of years now. Um, so I would not do the extension, even if it was, if it was sort of at these kind of like more reasonable numbers, um, you know, let's just see how things play out this season. If, if things go off the rails with this team, then he makes a really good trade chip as an, as a good player, on an expiring contract that offers an offensive skill set that would fit in with a bunch of different teams because he can yeah. play some one, play some two, you can run him off screens. Like there's a lot of stuff you can do with him. Um, I would also I would also point this out. They just used the lottery pick on James Booknight. Yeah, that's what Maxwell just said in the in the discussion. Yeah, here, so. okay, yeah. The good point, Maxwell. Like they just used this lottery pick on James Booknight. You gotta think at some point the goal is to eventually turn the starting two guard position over to James Booknight. Yep. Like if things go even at like even if there's sort of like a median outcome, right? You know, the, the hope would be that this guy would be the the starter and would get a shot to be like the long term fixture next to Lamelo. So, and you really can't play he and Rozier together all that much. Like it, it would be a smaller backcourt. I mean, you can switch and play zone and do some things to sort of like skirt around some of that stuff. But no. I say no extension, um, and and he's a guy that I think Charlotte can can look as a as a tool to perhaps pick up more assets depending on how uh, this season goes. Yeah, the two guard position on the Hornets right now is really just Terry Rozier and Book Knight. Like you have a lot of other yeah. wings that probably fall more in the category of a three, but like in terms of a true two guard, Rozier and Book Knight are the ones that I you can really just peg there. So, um, do you think we'll see any? Um, Sort of like Lamelo, Ubre, Hayward, one, two, three. Yeah, I in do. some shape or form, because like Ubre didn't play much two at Golden State last year, but I believe he's played some two. You know, at, at pre more like you know positionally, it would be you know it would be defined as a two. I think he's done that more at, at earlier points in his career. You know, Hayward's flexible. I don't know. I just I'd be curious to see what that might. Well, them throwing out a lineup that could look like that with having basically like you know three, six, seven guys at the, the one, <laughs> two, three. Plus uh, you can have Bridges and PJ and just have everybody be six, seven out on the, uh, out on the court. Yeah. Ubre to me is probably a three, but he's probably more of a two, two, three than he is a three, four to me. Like if I were to, yeah. if I were to kind of border two of the, two of the positions, let me ask you this quick follow-up question when it comes to Rozier, would you rather Rozier's contract just expire? Hornets don't get anything back for him. Or would you rather lock him up for four years at a reasonable price? I, mean, I don't know what that price is, but let's just say yeah, a reasonable price. Yeah, you know, it's it's tough because, like, again, we just we just defined that he has some offensive value, and if you extended him to a contract, you could still potentially trade that depending on what the number is, and that could be a thing that you use to get another player down the road or to get more assets or whatever. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's a tough hypothetical. I think I'd rather just, you know, let him walk, yep, shake yep, his hand yep. at the end of it, you know, um, and say, Hey, thanks. Like, boy, this worked out about as well as we probably could have expected it to like, good luck and understood for agency, like go sign for a bunch of money. Hope you do it with a contender. Like, thank you for your time here. Um, and if we can help, let us know. I think that's what I'd prefer. But obviously, the best path would be to be able to turn him into a you know an asset right. in some way, shape, or form. Uh, in, you know, in lieu of that. And it seems like Mitch is not afraid to do something like that, considering how this offseason played out with Devontae and Monk, and you know, yes. just, just letting letting people walk. All right. The second question from Maxton says, "Do y'all think the Hornets got better, stayed the same, or got worse <laughs> for the upcoming season, and will they make the play-in?" So. Man, if I had to choose of the three, better, same, or got worse, man, I'm going to say they got worse. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I guess you could argue stayed the same. It's just a, it's how do you view it, really? I guess for the upcoming season, you're going to be depending a lot on these young guys to make strides within the yeah. season. And 
for them to make the play-in, they better hope, one, Washington gets better. Like, he's got to turn things around from his sophomore season. you got to hope that Oubre plays better and more consistently than he did last season. He does fit the system to a T, I think, but, you know, you just got to get more consistent play from the quote-unquote veterans of this team. you got to hope that the backup point guard situation is passable with Ish Smith, and that's yeah. not a big drop-off from Devontae to Ish. And, you know, Ish has said all the right things in his, his media availabilities. Like, he's, he's, fun, he's fun to listen to. Like, he knows exactly mm-hmm. what his role is and what he has to bring. And you got to hope that Hayward stays healthy. So there's there's a lot of ifs that have to happen for the Hornets to make the play-in. I think it's possible, but just if I were to kind of categorize the offseason and how they are for this upcoming season, I would say that they got worse, maybe by a minute little margin there. But I also think this, Brian, teams around them got better, right? The Bulls, the Wizards. Yes, um, yes. I mean, the East got better right. this offseason yeah. in general. Like. I think the Cavs and the Pistons are really the only two teams that I can confidently say that are going to finish below Charlotte in the standings. And we'll see, because I, I, I think I agree, at least with Detroit, but man, Cleveland's got Garland, Sexton, Mobley, Okoro, like, yeah. kind of like the young the young court, Nance is still there too, like, uh, amazingly Kevin Love is still there, uh, I just, I, I kind of like some of the things Cleveland has, and I could, if, you know, Garland was make, taking steps, and Sexton's just a good player, um, and I really like Okoro, and obviously I think the world of Mobley is a prospect. So, um, you know, we'll see what we'll see how Cleveland turns out. Um, I think Charlotte got marginally worse. Um, you know, they bring in this big draft class, but yeah. you know, I could see Booknight being the only one that really like impacts the roster in any way, shape, or form next season. Like, I enjoyed watching Kai Jones at summer league. But boy, he's raw. <laughs> like that dude's got a ways to go. I think to actually like get, you know get quite uh, you know being like a, a rotation fixture. Um, like Kyle, a lot as a prospect. We just it, it's going to take some time, um, especially on the defensive side of the court. I do think offensively it'll make more sense for him when he can just like click in and be a play finisher next to Lamelo and Hayward. But you lose Devonte Graham, very good offensive player, like elite pull up guard uh passer from the guard position you lose monk who was a big offensive like uh fire starter for them last season firebrand and you also lose cody zeller who like as we've said like (laughs) i know not everyone in the charlotte fan base was like a huge cody zeller fan but like damn it he was a good player a good two-way center that did a nice job in the middle of the court, pick and roll, setting good screens, short roll, short roll passing, and so yeah, I think I think they'll they just those are three rotation players. They're gone, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe none of them are like starters, but they're all guys that can be like top six, top seven guys, top eight guys in a rotation. And so you bring in Ubre, the draft picks, and in one do, it's like I just you're just we've said this, but you're just banking so much on the young guys all making like at the same time, everyone making a big step, right? Right. And I think that's a lot to ask. I don't know, man. I mean, you obviously want all these guys to stay healthy, but it's like if Lamelo were to miss a month next season, like Ish Smith is a solid, steady backup, and I think he could like keep the ship afloat. But the way they built this roster, it's so many like play finishers, athletes, guys that can run with the mellow that, you know, you built this sports car that's designed for this one guy to drive. And if that guy goes down, well, then like, you know, who can step in and, and, and pilot the, the, the vehicle effectively? Or if, if Hay were to go down for an extended period of time, and I think Ubre is good insurance for that. Um, you know, Bridges taking on more of a playmaking role is, is you know, so maybe, maybe you have some things to sort of cushion that Hayward blow, but I just think his, like, half-court scoring and, and shooting and passing is just, like, too important. Um, I'll be, the thing, just as, as an aside with PJ, I will be keeping a – the thing I'll be paying attention to him most this season, outside of, like, positionally, like, where is he playing – is going to be the the rim finishing with PJ because yep, yep. I actually think I actually think like everything else with PJ is pretty damn good man like the the three point shooting from the corners is lethal he was very good from above the break last season as a three point shooter he can pass a little bit um, he has the ability to post up 
And he can, you saw he was a better rim protector last season, both in terms of the film block percentage, opponent field goal percentage at the rim when he was the closest defender. Um, you know, he can switch around a little bit. And Charlotte's going to have to switch and play a lot of zone next season because of their personnel, both up front and in the, the backcourt. But uh, the main thing with PJ is just going to be like, can he get better finishing through contact? And just getting a little bit more explosive finishing around the basket because, like that, well, that that's that is a game changer for him and the Hornets if if that actually comes online. He doesn't even have to be like an elite finisher in there. If he could become like a league average, you know, front court finisher at the rim and stuff like that on the pick and roll or playing in the dunker spot, like it, it would do wonders for Charlotte's offense. And I think they're they're kind of banking on it, but. It's still, it's not like an easy thing to just like add over the course of one off season. So we'll see, but I, I would just to answer the question. I think Charlotte got moderately worse. And, and the question is for the upcoming the season, right? So like, we're not saying yeah, they got I mean, worse over the next five yeah. years. It's no, just, no, 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 no. I, in fact, like I think a lot of the stuff they did, at least like, in the, you know, you lose Graham, which, which hurts you next season, but maybe you pick up a first round pick because of that. I mean, we'll see where new Orleans finishes, yeah. right? Um, I don't think, I mean, maybe they make the playoffs and, and again, you get a, you get a first round pick out of it. If not, it's two seconds is how it would get conveyed. But so I would say they got, they got at least in looking at just, just next season, they got a little worse. I think, and maybe you, you want to argue that they got a little bit better. That's fine. I think a lot of you're banking entirely on the young guys yep. developing, right? And or, or Lamelo just making some sort of. And he's already very good, but Lamelo making just like a massive leap, which like that'd be awesome if he did. Well, you know, we'll see. And I think the rest of the league just got a, a little bit better. I still think they can make the play in, but I don't think they're like a, a shoe in for that by any stretch. Yeah, realistically, the highest that I can see them finishing, and again, all this is dependent on like injuries too. But like just on yeah. paper, the highest I can see them finishing is like ninth. I I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not predicting them ninth. I'm probably predicting yeah. them closer to eleventh or twelfth. But I just you know solidly in the playoffs is just not something that I can see with this team right now. So, all right. Next couple of questions come from James Plowright, a contributor to At The Hive. This first question is interesting, and I'm going to let you start this one off. What is your least favorite move of the yeah. offseason? I think this is an interesting question. It's a good question, but uh, you know, when you think about your least favorite move, Brian, you kind of have to think about it in a vacuum, but we know that moves aren't made in a vacuum, but I, I will let you go first here. Yeah, so we've we've kind of touched on this a little bit uh, through, if while answering some of the little bits and pieces of the first couple of questions. Um, look, it definitely hurt to see like Devonte leave, but at least you got something for that, right? And you can at least say like there's a process here where like Lamelo's embedded as the point guard, and we like we we were we didn't agree on how much we should pay Devonte. I wouldn't even pigeonhole this guy as a backup. I think Devonte is more than that. I think he's a guy that you would. You could close games with. You wouldn't just yeah. use him for six minutes a half or whatever to give Lamelo a blow. Like he, he's a real, he's a real piece, and hopefully he'll help New Orleans out this season. Um, so my least favorite move, and and I mean like the, you know the, the the trade they made just before the draft for Plumlee. You know I know that ate up some cap space, but I, maybe they weren't ever good. They, maybe they didn't really have a shot at Rashawn Holmes. So at least with that, again, there's a process. You needed to add a center. You got a center. Then you moved up in the draft and you went out and got JT Thor, a guy they worked out and who we like as a prospect. And by the way, like I thought JT Thor played pretty well out at uh, at summer league. I thought he, I thought his flashes were, were pretty, pretty good. Um, least favorite move, um, letting Malik Monk walk for nothing. I knew that was going to be your answer. Is, is, yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's sort of a no brainer. You know, it, the, this is not the same thing as as have of seeing like the writing on the wall with Kemba, right? And it, that being this sort of like huge pivotal franchise altering and defining moment. Like, what do you do with Kemba Walker? This is like not that. But um, you know, Malik Monk is a lottery pick. He had really played pretty damn well the last couple of seasons. I think he had made strides defensively. And maybe was like clocking in as like a slightly below average, average defender. That's fine. And got way better at going to the going to the rim. You know what he can do as a passer. The spot up shooting really came online again last season. He shot the hell out of the basketball from deep. 
And I think it's also important to remember too, that like, this is a guy, he's still just 23 years old and really 25% of his NBA career was spent playing for a coach that's no longer here, a GM that's no longer here, uh, with an entire organization that's just completely turned over. So, look, maybe that's why he kind of fell out of favor to an extent. Like, the current regime didn't draft this guy. Um, and maybe there's something to be said for that. However, I think you, you can also flip that around and say, well, like, 25% of this guy's NBA career was just like Steve Clifford like scowling at him while he was on the bench, you know, like, like, and then, and then the last two seasons, he's actually played pretty well. Um, I just believe in his talent. I believe in him becoming a rotation piece. If you knew you weren't going to bring Malik Monk back and maybe the injuries made this more of a challenge during the season, I don't remember the exact timeline, but then you should have traded him during the season. Right. If you were like, look, we're just going to let Malik Monk walk for nothing in the off season. Well then, and, and look, maybe there wasn't a trade market for him. I could, yeah. I can see that, I guess being the case too, but yeah, letting a guy, a lottery pick that's still just 23, that does some things that impact winning and is also a pretty good fit next to LaMelo in terms of like style of play. And those guys played pretty well together in a limited sample this year. And would have fit with the style that they're going for, right? Like up and down, shoot threes. Like Malik would have, would have, you could have put him, put him right into that. So to lose him for nothing, um, that's a bit of a bummer. But like, look, there, it doesn't seem like there was much of a market for him out there because he signed for what the minimum with the Lakers on like what is essentially like a one year get right contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's my least favorite move is just letting Monk walk for nothing. His situation was also very difficult because of the cap hold. So you would probably have to renounce yes. him to create this cap space. And, yes. you know, would that look bad, you know, in in his eyes? Maybe. Like maybe, oh, they're renouncing me. They don't want me. They don't want to try to negotiate with me. And, yeah. you know, Russ in the chat here said, could they really compete with his opportunity with L.A., though? He clearly doesn't value money over the situation that he was put in. So I guess what Russ is saying here, you know, going to L.A. where uh, they have a chance to compete way more than Charlotte does. So maybe he's, he's betting on him being a, a somewhat prominent figure there and, and maybe getting more exposure over in LA than he would in Charlotte. And to your point, you already said it, the situation here in Charlotte, he never really got a fair shake and, and just things never went his way. Like consistency with playtime just never went his way. And um, it was hard to get things going with Monk. Yeah. I mean, like he was behind uh, the Martin twins in the rotation to start this year. Mm-hmm. And then like when they, they had to break glass in case of emergency in late January for some offense, he came out the bench and started throwing flames immediately. But like uh, Russ brought up a good point in the chat. Like, you know, he clearly is looking for the ability to, to prove it and show himself on a, on a bigger stage with more veteran laden, uh, you know, roster and the Lakers give him that big market playing next to LeBron on a team that could win the championship next year. I just don't know how much of a role he's going to have, but you could see why that would be appealing for someone like Malik Monk, who, um, you know, is probably looking to make a splash this year and then get into unrestricted free agency um, in 2022. I'll go ahead and give my answer to this question. And it was, a transaction that you brought up. And again, like none of these moves are made in a vacuum because one move leads to the next. So I'm going to say the Mason Plumley trade was my least favorite move of the offseason. But again, that also assumes that I dislike the JT Thor pick at 37 because he was a part <laughs> of that trade. Yeah. I mainly disliked the acquisition of Plumley, not because of Plumley himself, but just because it signaled to me that they weren't going to be aggressive in the center market and free agency which, you know, might have been for the best. But, you know, when I saw that trade happen, I was like, okay, they maybe already have their eyes locked in on Mason Plumley. That's what they're going to use for their starting center or their backup center. You know, if you think PJ will start there and they're not going to be too aggressive in that position, which is a position that we all knew was a high position of need. So it I, still is too. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, right. I, like, like they are not, they're no, there's no, like, I don't know if they're going to do something during the season this year, but like, you know, Plumlee is obviously a stopgap, and you know, I, I, we'll just we'll see how much PJ plays there again. I guess mm-hmm. it would be a fair amount. We'll see how much of a shake Vernon Carey Jr. gets. Um, but just a very weird position for the Hornets uh, in terms of the roster this year. Without the stabilizing presence of Zeller, I, I don't know. It just it feels 
feels a little, I know Plumlee can, can, can give you some of the same stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, just it, that is a position that like feels very much in flux right now. Um, it, in terms of like where it's situated on the roster. Yeah. It's, it feels like a quantity over quality situation right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, I think again, like the lineups with PJ at center are going to be awesome offensively. Mm-hmm. You know, they really, and they'll switch a lot and play zone. Like the, the, they could do some cool stuff with, I, I like, I like PJ at five and I think Plumley is like, you know, can do some stuff with LaMelo. So, I'm not even like against the center rotation necessarily. And hopefully Vernon Carey Jr. gets somewhat of a shake because I think he can help this roster out offensively. But we'll see. All right, we got two more questions left, and then we also have a question here in Green Room, which I'll add to the end of this also. The next question from James Plowright, will this be the fastest team in terms of pace in Hornets history? I'll say this much. The the trend of the signings and the draft picks you would think that that's what they're going for. You got cutters, you got guys that are, you know, going to get out in transition. I just, I guess I don't really know who the highest paced team in Hornets history was, but yeah. I will say this with pace, you do have to go out there and stop people. Um, and I think <laughs> you have to consider the defensive aspect of it to get those possessions up. So if they can't get stops, if they can't get rebounds at an above average rate, I just can't see them being the fastest team in Charlotte history. Again, I don't know who that was, but it just doesn't seem like they'll get to that point. It's funny, Brian, when we did a, or when I interviewed Gil McGregor, I don't know, was that a year ago, two years ago? I can't remember whenever the, uh, the original pandemic started. That feels like forever ago. (laughs) Jesus. I was watching the, uh, the 1993 Hornets, the team that made the playoffs for the first time and upset the, uh, the Boston Celtics. They were a team that got up and down the court. And I remember watching yeah. them like on these old YouTube video clips of them. And I was shocked in that era how fast they were getting up and down the court. So do you I don't do you know who the fastest team was in terms of pace in the Hornets history? Yeah. So just to just to circle back, the ninety one, ninety two, and the wow. ninety two, ninety three teams, which were coached by Alan Bristow, those were both finished second in the league in pace. Wow. Okay. So those are very, but but the game is also just like faster now, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, the Hornets, after being the one of the slowest teams in the NBA in the nineteen twenty season, which we just talked about this with Lee either last week or two weeks ago, when I was sort of like bringing up like why you know I think Charlotte's going to be really go 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 around Lamelo and bringing in Ishmith to be the backup and then eventually getting an Ubre was uh you know they were very slow two seasons ago and then they really turned the dial up last season they became in a variety of different sort of like pace metrics and i try to look at as opposed to just looking at like pace Pace, on basketball reference i try to look at average possession length and unpredictable the site does a great job doing this unfortunately doesn't go back too far it goes back to ninety six, ninety seven. Oh, wow. So I could I couldn't I could not get all the way back to these ninety one through ninety three teams. I I look I did I tried to do some research this afternoon. Um I, I could not go that far back. Um I'll say yes, because I think oh. this game like assuming they're I mean, we'll see what the presence of Hayward, you know, like he's a guy that you you know you're used to stabilize and play in the half court. But I but I do think and it well, it's also the thing too. Is it's like, are you going on a actual time by per possession basis, or are you basing this off how they stack up with like with the rest of the league, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know if this Hornets team is going to be number one in the NBA pace this year, but I think they're going to like pay play faster than any other team in Hornets history. So it's like, what's the comparison? Is it the other thirty Hornets teams, or is it the other twenty nine NBA teams in the league that year? Um, you can you can slice it up a couple of different ways, but yeah, I'll say this will be this is going to go down as the 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 fastest like on a per on a seconds per possession basis. Yeah, I think this will be the yeah the fastest Hornets team, and it's going to be fascinating to see how they build around that going forward. I will also say too, as a random aside, uh, this week I also went back and went to the nineteen the two thousand nineteen twenty twenty season because I wanted to see some of the Kelly Oubre games against Charlotte when he was in Phoenix. Um, played pretty well, actually, in both those games. But um, That was probably his best season the, as a pro, right? Like his last year in yeah, Phoenix? Yeah, prob- probably. Yeah, probably. He was, he was he had a good season for the, for Phoenix that year, and he was good in these games. But um, 
They also just like that team, like it wasn't just that they did a lot of like spread pick and roll with Devontae, bring the ball up and run pick and roll. They just like this one game in Phoenix, dude, Borrego is calling out like sets every time down the court. Like, like they are, they're running action every single time. And, you know, I don't have a way to, I don't have like a stat to use to prove whether this is true or not. But I just like, I think in the age of LaMelo, obviously they're still running a ton of half court stuff, a ton of after timeout stuff. But I think because of the pace and because in the half court, it's more like LaMelo freelance as opposed to like, Hey, Devonte, run this play. Um, I think because of that, they're just playing faster too. It's just like, I think like they are, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm basing this off a very limited sample of like going back and rewatching these games from two seasons ago. But I think they're just, they're just in the half court. They're just calling out less sets. I just think they're, they're, they're playing faster because they're doing more freestyle, like LaMelo, we're following you basketball, as opposed to just like what's in JB's like playbook that night. Yeah. You know, try, try to push the pace, get out into secondary action and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know if they will be the highest pace team in the NBA, but it certainly feels like they're they're trying to do that. All right, last question from the Buy Me a Coffee site from Jordan. Hey, guys, seriously love all the content. I still carry the dream in my heart of adding Ben Simmons to this roster, even though we lost some of the shooting versatility that I thought fit well around him. Are there any other semi-available big-time pieces you could see Charlotte using uh, some of these tradable contracts they've added this offseason for? Thanks. All right, well, thank you to Jordan uh, for the question and the kind words. Uh, if you know me, draft prospects and hypothetical trades might be my like two least favorite <laughs> things to discuss. Um, yeah. So I, I don't, the, big, the biggest name I can think out there that would be semi-available that has always been linked to Charlotte is Miles Turner. I don't know if that connection is dead, but it, it feels like it could be. I just think that Mitch Kupchak, if you've seen the trend this offseason, he's not trying to commit long-term money to some of these players that are even like 26 years old, 27. Like, like he is just, it feels like he's resetting the the roster around LaMelo and he's taking on shorter deals and not worrying about you know future contracts so I don't know of any big time pieces for Charlotte and even if there were some that were available I'm not really sure what kind of trades would work I do want to bring up this point about Simmons this is kind of like a a different conversation altogether you know you've heard this conversation with Simmons where everyone says that he's not a point guard he needs to play as a big he needs to be used as a screener as a roller as a cutter mm-hmm. i think that's much easier said than done like you know to put it into practice sure. is, is a very different thing he's got to buy into that role as well and to me mm-hmm. Simmons, Simmons is a very good player defensively uh, he's good passing the ball, distributing. He's good in transition, but he seems like a guy that's very comfortable in what he does, and he's not much of a risk taker. That's why you don't see him take three point shots. So I don't really <laughs> buy, you know, him being able to flip that switch and say, "Hey, you know what? Don't play me like I'm normally played. I will be strictly, uh, you know, a short roll guy, a screener, and all that type of stuff." I just don't think that would happen regardless of what team he went to. So I just wanted to bring that up, even though yeah. that Simmons is probably not going to end up on Charlotte. I just don't think that that's something that he can just buy into immediately. Yeah, the um, the Simmons offensive fit is just, obviously he's a world-class defender, maybe the best perimeter defender in the world. He's incredible. Um, offensively, the fit is just perplexing and challenging regardless. Like you'd want to use them like the golden state uses Draymond, right? Like that, I think like that's the kind of role, which is always why, like when you see these Simmons to, to golden state, hypothetical trades that get flown around, you're just like, man, I don't know how they would make this thing fit and work together. Like if you were playing, having to play Simmons and Draymond together and like leverage minutes. I'm just not sure offensively it would work, but like one of the things that you're able to, one of the reasons why uh, Draymond could be such a, like a, a, a brilliant offensive player at times, despite the fact that he can't like shoot and is like afraid to finish on some possessions is that you have, you have Curry, right. And you have Thompson, you have these like incredible gravity shooters just out floating around everywhere. So like, 
Simmons and Curry is like a, an excellent fit, right? You know, together, but not if Draymond is there. So like, right. that, like, but in, but also like Curry is like a once in a hundred years player. So it's like, you know, the, to your point about it being like tough to find like the right sort of like roster fit around him. It's like, you can do it, but you need to find, like, I do think you need that kind of like gravity guard to play next to Simmons to sort of like unlock him as your your short role and, and secondary playmaker, um, I, I think any or or you know he's got to be in a, a lineup that has like a stretch five too, which is always why like you know he and Embiid are always like kind of a tough uh, tough pairing. Um, as far as like I think we've talked about the Simmons the Charlotte hypotheticals. I think we did that earlier in the summer. I mean, I guess there's one you can build around Hayward in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, if Philadelphia went into the season with Simmons, which who knows how, what's going to happen. Um, there was more reporting today that Philadelphia and Simmons are like not talking at all or talking very little, but he's got a ton of years left on his contract. So like maybe they would go into the season and see how things play out or whatever. Um, you know, eventually you'll be the Charlotte could trade that Oubre contract. And I guess like, you know, Rozier and Oubre, those salaries probably get you pretty close to Simmons. And then you'd have to just like figure out the right asset mix, you know, in terms of, you know, PJ Washington and a couple of picks or something like that. Um, Philadelphia is asking for a lot with Simmons and they should, then they have a fair amount of leverage so they can do that. But like, as someone that hasn't like, I haven't like unloaded all my Simmons stock. Like I still think there's a situation where he can, like you could really like um, maximize his potential. Um, I'll be honest, like w- the last year has been tough, you know, it, it, like to, to like what, to see how he's played, to see how the playoffs unraveled um, the lack of aggression. It's not just the fact that like he's, um, you know, he can't shoot, but just like he disappears yeah. in these playoff games, man. And like, Boy, oh boy, the the play he had against the Hawks where, like, he didn't want to go up and finish the play because he was afraid that, you know, what, Okongu or John Collins was going to foul him, and, you're, and he passes it off, and you're just like – it's just that's, that sticks with you, and it, it's emblematic of, like, where this guy is capped out as, like, an offensive player in leverage situations with that kind of personnel around him right now. So it's like Charlotte has pathways to, like, trading for – a big player like this, whether it be Hayward's contract or some combination of Rozier. And again, they can't trade Uber right now because they just signed him in free agency. But what, isn't it like December 15th or what's the date this year when you can like, after that you can trade, yeah. you know, the free agents you sign. So right. it's like, I, I guess that exists and Charlotte has all of their first round picks and they have good young players. It's like, they have stuff that could sweeten up a trade, but it's like, the hell is the point of trading for a guy like that right now? You know, like it doesn't fit with this timeline that you were just describing. So I don't know. I mean, a guy like, you know, a guy like Bradley Beals out there, I guess, Dame Lillard, but like, you know, I don't see Charlotte trading for Lillard. I don't even know. Beal doesn't, it seems like he doesn't want to be dealt from Washington either, but those, those are some of the other big names. I just don't see Charlotte swimming in those waters um, right now. Turner is interesting. And, and maybe because the center rotation is so in flux, maybe they do get to a point where they're like, all right, like we, we want to get a stretch five for LaMelo. We want to get a defensive anchor. All right, like we're going to build a package around salary plus a pick and PJ or whatever. And like, I don't want them to do that, but I, I could see them like pushing that button at some point in time. All right, unless someone else has a question here in green room, the last question, uh, it was just commented here in the discussion from Christo. Who do you think will have the larger role on the Hornets in 18 months? Here it is, JT Thor or Vernon Carey Jr. So in a year and a half from now, uh, who's wow. going to have a bigger role? Now, this is You just haven't seen enough from either to make a definitive answer. This is more of just kind of gut feeling, your prediction. How do you think things are going to go? I think you know Vernon Carey Jr., we've seen more of him, so that can kind of work against him in this type of question. I, I think he's shown some flashes in Summer League, but you know, not enough to, for me to say you know he's the answer in this question. I don't have a I don't have a strong feeling on this one way or the other in terms of which one is going to have a stronger role in this team. Also, too, I don't know if they're going to really either of them have a of a real big role in eighteen months. Brian, any thoughts on yeah. JT Thor versus Vernon Carey? 
I, I guess I would bet on Thor simply because like he's younger and they drafted him more recently, so there's just more runway in front of him. But Carey plays at a, a greater position of need at the center position. But I'll, I'll say Thor because they have less time to sort of like make a decision on a guy like VCJ. They have more runway with Thor. And, um, you know, they just – whether they traded – you know, it, I'm not sure they knew JT Thor would be available at 37, but – they did make that deal the day just before the draft, and then they used they used that pick on um, on Thor. So I think they've invested a little bit more uh, draft, you know, equity in Thor. He's younger, and again, on someone like Carrie, you're just gonna, you're going to have to make a decision quicker. So I'll say Thor, but and again, I thought I actually thought Thor's. They had some nice, really nice moments in Vegas, but um, so I'll say JT. But uh, but I think there's a chance that both guys could have could could be like have a role on this roster in 18 months, and um, that would be a real feather in the cap for the Hornets if they took the 32nd and the 37th pick in back to back draft and turned those guys into you know contributors and in, in rotation players. Oh, we do have a speaker request. I'm, I I can't pass this up. Is it Spencer? No, it's not Spencer. <laughs> Hey, how's it going? Hey, Go ahead. What's going on, fellas? Not much. Hey, what's up, guys? I've been following y'all for a while. I'm a sarcastic underscore asset. Uh, you guys probably have seen me. Yep. Uh, yeah. Commented oh, before. Yeah. Yeah, oh, what's yeah. going on, fellas? Uh, big fan. I'm looking forward to this season. And, yeah, and I have a couple of thoughts about just uh, the new additions to our team. I'm looking forward to seeing Kelly Oubre on the wing. And I, I'm actually uh, pleasantly surprised that uh, the Plumlee deal, you know, regardless of the contract, uh, I feel like he's an effective big. And maybe be a net uh, a net positive in comparison to both Fizz uh, and Cody Zeller. Uh, no matter how much, you know, Cody was, um, you know, uh, helping us with his screening, Abilities, I feel like Mason could be more of a uh, defensive, you know, big for us. Um, but in your mind, uh, I just wanted to get some idea as to who on this roster right now will make a bigger positive impact, I guess you say, or be more effective both offensively and defensively for the Hornets uh, from the new additions, including the rookies. Good question. So, out of all the new, think? yeah, out of all the new acquisitions, Brian, who do we think is going to make the biggest impact on this team? I'm assuming for the upcoming season here, Nico. Um, I would say Mason Plumley. Yep. Mason Plumley is kind of the answer that I would go with, uh, just because of the youth of the other players. We have four rookies, one of them on a two way deal uh, with uh, Scotty Lewis. Mason Plumley seems like a guy that's going to get significant minutes. They obviously went out and traded for him, so they they had the plan of using him. Um, I think like you mentioned, there mm-hmm. might not be that big of a drop off between Cody Zeller and Mason Plumley. And one thing that I think that Mason Plumley has over Zeller is the playmaking ability from the elbow. You know, Cody Zeller was used more as a screener. Like you mentioned, I, I think Mason Plumley can pass and uh, you know, from, from the, from the high post, he can find those cutters like you're mentioning Ubre and some of the other players, Miles Bridges. So I think that he will have the biggest impact out of anyone that the Hornets acquired this offseason. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think I think that's a I think that's like a pretty safe bet if you're looking at like next season, right? Like long term, the hope has to be book night. You know, you just didn't, you just invested a lottery pick in him. Um, he's a talented combo guard. He fits next to Lamelo. He's your first draft pick. Uh, you know, post Lamelo Ball, the bill of the the build around Lamelo, your first first round draft pick after Lamelo. So I think the hope needs to be for like him to be a, a guy that can really contribute and fit next to Lamelo long term for next season. Right. Assuming this center rotation stays the way it is now, that there isn't some other move that may be out there. Like, yeah, I think there's a better than fifty percent chance that Plumlee is the starter. Um, I mean, I think there's a chance PJ could start, and we'll probably start some games at center this year, just over the churn of a, a long season. But yeah, I think as a guy like Plumlee that can do some stuff offensively, and, I, and I, the only thing I'd push back on a little bit is that like Zeller, definitely more of a screener, but his short roll passing was pretty good, and his like fake dribble handoff 
and like keep like and he could do that kind of around the elbows. Yeah. That was pretty good too. But um, but yeah, I, I like Plumley can pass, yeah. and I think that fits well with Lamelo. So I think I would say for just next season, I believe I would say um, I, I think I would say Plumley too. But it's interesting. I think you can make a case for for someone like Ubre, but because he's behind Bridges and Hayward, it's just harder to see me. You know, him being locked into getting X number of minutes every single night and having a role that could really um, sort of like um, drive winning the way like Plumlee could with a strong season. Let's not forget Ish Smith. Uh, we're going to have a pretty yeah. consistent backup point guard when LaMelo has to go off the court. So um, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the season y'all. And uh, thanks for, you know, doing this uh, green room thing. It's, it's cool. And uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get back on with you guys again. Yeah, please, so, thank you. please do. Yeah, please do. We appreciate anyone listening and chiming in, obviously. And uh, yeah, I, I think regardless of whether this team got like a little bit better or a little bit worse or stayed the same or where they're going to finish in the Eastern Conference, like they are going to be really, really fun next season, I think, to watch. I think it maybe depends on like sort of uh, what your personal preferences are with basketball. But if you like transition up and down, um, you know, threes, dunks. Like, I just think it, there's a chance they could be really, really entertaining for people that obviously are Hornets fans. But even I just think if you're like an NBA fan at large, like I think they have the chance to be sort of like another league pass darling team again this year. Well, I was so excited that we got a speaker request there. I I had recognized Nico's name. I was like, where have I seen that guy's name before? Oh, yeah. And then when he told me the Twitter, uh, the Twitter handle, I was like, okay, yes. Lots of Twitter. Yep. Two and yep. two together yep. there. So. Uh, yep. if, if you guys are listening to us for the first time, we'd love for you guys to take out 30 seconds, 45 seconds out of your day. Give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. Moving forward, our schedule might be a little bit lighter with the NBA schedule kind of slowing up a bit here. I will say this, that we are trying to get Sam Farber, the uh, radio play-by-play broadcaster of the Hornets, on an upcoming episode. It might actually be our next episode. So yeah. for Brian... For everyone in Green Room, we thank you guys for joining us. Uh, We will see you guys next time.